Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode coming to you after the Jets lose in Miami to the Dolphins, 24-31. to They've now been swept by the Dolphins in both games, and they lost both games by a touchdown at each one. 17-24 to was the first game, 24-31 to is the second game. In the first game, Tua Tungavailoa kind of beat the Jets up. In this game, the rushing attack beat the Jets up. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do enough on offense to come away with the victory. I wasn't here last week to talk about the Saints game. They lost that one, too, so... Couple losses in a row. Jets fall to three and eleven on the season. The record is looking worse and worse. Eliminated from playoff contention. All that stuff's negative. We got a bunch of guys going a season-ending IR. Some people on the COVID list. Bunch of negative stuff like that. But there's plenty of good stuff to be found out there as well. For one, it's the holiday season. It's the time for love, rejoicing, happiness, all that good stuff. Whatever. I wish you all a warm, happy, safe holiday season. We've got a nice game coming up next week against Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. It's a team kind of in the same spot as us. Equal competition at quarterbacks. So that could be a lot of fun. I got a nice beer going on today that we could talk about on What's on Tap. And every single time the Jets lose, even though it's not what we're rooting for, they are inevitably getting themselves in a better draft position for the draft upcoming. And very soon when the season is over for the Jets, all we're really going to be looking at for the next seven months is the rookie class and the people that we may draft, those that we did draft. So... It will be important then. Right now, it would be nice to win. It would have been nice to beat the Dolphins. But it was my dad's birthday, so we had some really nice sushi and stuff. Good things going on there. Positive vibes still. I think as the season's kind of, you know, falling apart here and we're eliminated from playoff contention, we realize what we are. We're just kind of looking for fun. We're looking for a couple glimmers of hope, some good performances from some players, and I think it's easier to not get down on the team right now because we've been down for so much longer this season. Anyways... We got a lot of stuff to get to today. Before we do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's under the Gangrene Nation podcast series title is This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. So before we get into the specifics of the game, I want to do some injury and team news and whatnot. A bunch of players placed on COVID recently. It's been going on all around the league. Some teams were hit much harder than the Jets, but we did lose John Franklin Myers currently. Foley Fadakasi didn't play in this game. Hamza Nasraldin's on the list. We got Sherrod Neesman, Vincent Smith, 
there's a uh, a big group of guys. Elijah Moore was actually moved over to the COVID list, even though he's currently injured. So he went from IR to COVID. Now the question is, all right, now if he is healthy to play, does he have COVID? So there's two things, you know, against him right now. Hopefully he'll be back to play at least one or two more games this season for the Jets. We had a couple new injuries in this game. Elijah Riley was carted off the field in a very scary injury situation on the spine board, but it looks like he's okay, currently in concussion protocols, and actually questionable for this upcoming game against the Jaguars. Quinnen Williams left with a shoulder injury. That's, of course, very scary because injuries at the end of the year are the worst. There are, are a handful of injuries that are a full-year timetable in most cases, an Achilles, an MCL, an ACL, and if you get one in December, you know, late December, and it takes you a full calendar year to recover, you probably miss all of next season as well. So luckily, it looks like Quinnen Williams is looking good, questionable to play as well against the Jaguars. He may have dodged a bullet there. We still have three more games. No season-ending, no, like, you know, year-long injuries. Please, upcoming, get out of these games healthy. Ryan Griffin, he's got a knee injury, doubtful to play against the Jags. And Becton, he's still not playing. I don't know if he's ever going to play at all this year. He played early on, not as well as he had his rookie year, in my opinion, and then was out, and we haven't seen him since. At this point in time, I mean, when you look at this game, this is a team that had Chuma Adoga as a young guy. They draft Makai Becton. They've got George Fant to be a swing tackle, and then they sign Morgan Moses on top of that just in case it's an insurance policy. And still somehow in this game against the Dolphins, we're lining up Connor McDermott at left tackle. It seems ridiculous, but that is the case right now. Makai Becton's health is very much in question, and he's an important integral part of this team of what Joe Douglas is building starting in the trenches. He is that premier left tackle that the Jets need. And his health next year is super important, so if you have to keep him out for the next couple games, go for it. Just have him ready for week one next year, please. We need that guy. Some other guys came back this week against the Dolphins to play. That would be Bryce Huff. We haven't seen him in a while, but he actually is a pretty good sack artist for the Jets. Didn't have much pressure in this game, but he was out there on the field. Tyler Croft, he made his presence felt with a pair of catches, a couple nice ones. He had his lung laceration back from that. Good to see. Chuma Adoga was available for the first time in a while. He was behind McDermott. I mean, he hasn't played in a long time. He's rusty. You can't just throw Chuma Adoga out there. If Connor McDermott's been practicing more regularly with the team, there's not enough of a talent gap between the two to roll out a rusty Chuma Adoga instead of a McDermott, but we did have him there just in case something happened. And then Michael Carter returned to the lineup. And early in the game, he had a couple really nice carries, and you were thinking to yourself, man, did we miss this guy? You look like he's going to get three yards, he picks up six. You think he's going to get one, he gets three. Every time he gets additional yardage. But then later in the game, a couple negative yard rushes. Really, really messed up his stats. Didn't end up having a great game in the end with his eight carries. And we know he's got a lot left in the tank, but he was a little rusty getting back from injury. In this game, the way it just kind of played itself out, specifically in the second half, it was tough sledding. Hopefully back soon will be Elijah Moore, who I mentioned was moved to the COVID list from IR, dealing with both of those things. Ty Johnson in this game was a healthy scratch. We didn't do a podcast last week, but he had like three horrible drops in that Saints game, and they weren't great on target throws. I'm not going to say that. Zach Wilson was a little bit off target with them. A couple of them were right in the bread basket. But Ty Johnson, I mean, you got to catch those balls. you got to make it easy on him, and when he does throw it to you perfectly, you got to catch those as well. He was a healthy scratch this week with Tevin Coleman and Michael Carter out there. Austin Walter was back from his illness, so they were elected to roll with those three guys and have Ty Johnson be a healthy scratch. So kind of sending a message to him, and making you wonder, what is his you know, stock looking like within this team right now? As we're coming up on evaluation periods and looking into free agency, what do the Jets think they have in that running back room? Kind of a 
piecemealed group of a rookie guy. You got a lot more out of Michael Carter than maybe you would have expected going into free agency before the draft. You had Ty Johnson, who was kind of a journeyman, late-round guy who had some upside, but right now trending down within the team. Austin Walter, a guy that was trending down early, came back out of nowhere. Had a couple nice carries, but hasn't done a ton. P. Ryan's been up and down, and I think there's no reason to really be excited about him. And then you've got Tevin Coleman, who's been injured many times in his career. He's no spring chicken either, and for running backs, we know how quickly a career can kind of just start going down. I wouldn't be surprised to see them make some sort of move in that room for next year. Definitely will still feature plenty of Michael Carter, but I think you'd like to have a nice one-two punch. If you could have Tevin Coleman the way he ran this week, every single week a guy like that, you know, that might be a nice complimentary piece to him. Fant didn't play this week. We mentioned McDermott started in his place. And that's the big news for the Jets. I mean, they're 3-11 and now. They're 1-6 and on the road. So two of those wins came at home. They were only able to scrap out one away. And this game, I mean, it felt like they could win. Early on, they started really, really nice. They had two really great drives in this game, like a 75-yard drive on eight plays, an 86-yard drive on 10 plays, both phenomenal drives. A ton of creativity, getting the ball to Braxton Berrios in unique ways, getting the ball to the tight ends more than ever, rushing the ball pretty well early on, getting turnovers, which the Jets hardly ever do. But then by the second half, you know, the team kind of fell apart. They weren't able to stop the run. Duke Johnson came out of nowhere. And I, you know, Did you ever think that you would see Duke Johnson play a game like that, be a workhorse for a team and, and grind a team into the pulp to win the thing? Again, I didn't think that would ever happen, but... He beat us up pretty bad. A couple of no-shows on offense. A little bit of trouble protecting the passer. Uh, Connor McDermott definitely struggled in that spot. Not enough pressure on Tua. All that stuff started happening in the second half after a really, really hot start where it felt like the Jets were going to run away with this thing. And, you know, if there's anything that we've learned from this team, I think it's that you can't expect consistency game in, game out. And you certainly can't expect consistency half to half. It feels like early in the year... Zach Wilson was horrible in the first half and was able to get stuff going in the second half. And then it was like, all right, well, he's got to do some stuff in the first half. And then finally it was like they scored for the first time in the first quarter all season, and it was this big moment where it was like, wow, we didn't think they'd ever do it. They've been so bad in the first half. And then most recently, the Jets have actually been better in the first half than the second half. All of a sudden they get things going early on, and you're like, okay, this is finally happening. They're finally getting stuff going. But then halftime comes, and they lose it. This team is the youngest in the league, as we know. They're susceptible to inconsistencies, of course, as young teams always are. And they get too high on themselves. They get too low on themselves. They can go up, but they can't maintain it. They don't know what winning feels like. They don't know how to put it together for four quarters. And we saw that again this week. A great first half. Tons of fun to watch. I've watched it three times already. Second half, horrible. I watched it twice. Don't care to ever watch that again. It was nowhere near the same thing than the same product that we saw in that first half. A couple really nice plays. Um, and that creativity started disappearing as well. I think the confidence is gone from the offensive coordinator, from the team. I mean, all these guys have to learn to win together. And it hasn't quite gotten there yet. That's why this game against the Jaguars, I think, is a really pivotal game for the Jets. They need to show that they can get stuff together for more than two quarters and try to get some consistency, try to get a little momentum, and just get a taste of what winning feels like. Because a lot of these young guys haven't seen enough of it yet. And going into next year, you don't want them to be rookies at winning. You want them to be somewhat seasoned to it. You know, four wins, five wins this year, you would feel seasoned to it. Three right now, I don't think it's enough. And the Jaguars are that team on the schedule that you look at and say, hey, we could beat that team for sure. 
the Jets currently right now, home home favorites, two and a half points right now. So we'll get into that game a little bit later. But uh, it's a team of two halves. You don't get it in both halves. If the Jets can do that for a full game before the season is over, play a good first half and a good second half with consistency at that quarterback position and consistency within the defense, you're going to feel a lot better moving forward. We just need to see it. So we're going to talk about the game specifically, the player performances and all that. But before we do, we do need to do a father time. We didn't get one last week after the Saints game. That's okay. Not a great game there. But this time, Dad is back. He's got some thoughts. This one is called, These Are Getting Harder to Write. I think that's a message to me to say. And like, how many of these do we have to do? And I'm feeling there that same sort of thing with him too. We've done this, uh, you know, 14, 15 weeks already now throughout the season. Kind of same song and dance. Kind of going through the same thing. It's, it's different every time. Inconsistent in its own way. It's consistently inconsistent. You know what I mean? But this is my dad's father time. Written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. The New York Jets are favorites. We're expected to win. This is an opportunity for our young players to put exciting plays on tape that may help keep some employed, or at least get them to training camp. Let's face it, many players will not be on the Jets next year, and JD will bring in a new batch and skim the cream off the top like he did before this season. So, lots of turnover. Who makes the team? Is Jamie and Sherwood a Jet in 2022? How about Isaiah Dunn? Will Michael Pirine? I don't know about any of them. This list is long because JD needs to continue to infuse the Jets with talent anywhere possible. Why is this important for this game? Because the Jets will stand toe-to-toe with the Jaguars and perhaps outplay them. Hopefully outplay them. There won't be another game to show off talent in abundance. Gaudy runs and whiplash sacks. Career-to-date highlights galore. But what about the Bucks and Bills? Well, Tampa just got shut out, and they should be on a roll heading into January playoffs. They will be cranky and nervous and want to right their pirate ship as quickly as possible. Number 12 knows this is not the time to be slumping. And because Buffalo is a wounded Buffalo, a cold-weather team that can't play in the cold and might need help to play to even make the playoffs, these last two games have opponents with better players and more experience. But wouldn't it be nice to whoop Tommy in the Bucks, Or, even better, knock the Bills out of the playoffs? Talk about a 2021 Jets victory. But first... For this week, this is the thing. The Jets are the youngest team in the NFL and unfortunately will not be playing in the postseason. Watch out for the pick six, punt return touchdown, and watch your favorite young players closely and think about who's part of the future and who was part of the experiment. I have my favorites. You have yours. Enjoy. Go Jets. End scene. So, wow. Dad gave us a lot to think about on that one. And I think he's absolutely right. You know, just talking about what he's saying here, who's part of the team, who's part of the experiment, that's a really good point because they have all these guys that they tried, the people that he's mentioning, LaMichael P. Rines, the Trevon Wescos, the Jamie and Sherwoods, Hamza Nasraldine, Go, the list goes on. There's tons of these guys that we drafted in mid to late rounds. Joe Douglas has acquired extra middle draft picks. We also have some of those Wescos and Shepherds and stuff that are holding on from the McCagden era. When you look at it, the team obviously needs to get better, and some of these guys have to go. But some of them will be cheap, experienced players that can come back to the Jets. They know the system, comfortable there. It's just who deserves to be in those spots and who needs to be replaced. So he said he's got his list of favorite players. I wish that he mentioned his list of favorite players. I was like, I texted him right after this. I said, can we get this list of favorite guys? He goes, no, 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 I have mine, you have yours. And I know a couple of his favorites right now. 
give you a hint. Quincy Williams is one of them. Braxton Berrios, a favorite. He even enjoys big play Vincent Smith, although not as much this year as he used to. Those are some of his favorite guys, but he's absolutely right that there are players that require evaluation, and unless you want to do it in the offseason, this is the time. And unless you want to do it against a team like the Buccaneers or Buffalo Bills, who are poised to make the playoffs, ready to make a run, and potentially could feast on the Jets, this Jaguars game is really the one opportunity to go, as he said, toe-to-toe with an opponent that's kind of at our skill level. They've got, you know, I'm going to talk about the numbers later, but they've got almost identical team to the Jets. They're no good. We're no good. It's got some draft-standing implications there. But in reality, it's Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick, versus Zach Wilson, the number two pick. Two guys that have struggled on bad teams, need to make some changes. And who's going to get the momentum? Who's going to get that big win? Who's going to get those highlight plays? And what players, what young guys, part of that core, are going to stand out and say, you know what, season's about to end, I deserve to be here. Is it going to be a guy like Elijah Riley, Ashton Davis? You know, I think Brandon Eccles has really improved his stock over the last few weeks, huh? This game specifically, you're starting to think to yourself, all right, we may have something here. But if you went back five weeks, you probably wouldn't be saying Brandon Eccles is the answer. You'd probably say he's a low-end, you know, number three, number four outside cornerback that can be part of the team but probably won't be relied on. I don't know if we're going to shift that feeling now, but you definitely feel a little bit more comfortable rolling him at outside cornerback after what you saw in this game against the Dolphins. So that's just an example, but he's right. Got to evaluate. Got to watch your favorite guys. And you got to remember that these seasons are fleeting. They come and they go, but they don't last forever. No team has been good forever. There are some teams that have sucked forever, but the teams themselves are built differently. We've only got three games left with this unit. Some coaches will be gone. Some players certainly will be gone. And it may be one of your favorite guys. Maybe they get picked up from another team. Maybe they get injured in one of these weeks and they can't play next year. Maybe they just become free agents or go find different career paths. One way or another, it'll never be this same team again. Hopefully the Jets get better, but there's a lot of guys out here who work their butts off and guys that are trying to be part of the future and not just part of the experiment. I look forward to watching what they can do, and this is the game, potentially, as he said, highlights galore, maybe. Big sacks, punt return touchdowns, pick six, like, whoa. These are big expectations. I would love to see the Jets win, like, 45-10 to and just have one of those games where they just... Fill up the highlight sheet. Everybody's getting big numbers. Everybody's feeling good. You start really seeing what guys can look like at their best rather than what we've seen this year. A lot of guys, what they look like at their worst potentially. But still stuff to be excited about and plenty of work to do for the New York Jets and specifically Joe Douglas. I look forward to helping him out and trying to take you know my opinions as we watch these games and then sharing them with you guys on this podcast. That's what it's all about. My dad will be doing that as well. So thank you for the father time, dad. It was a good one. Before we move on to the actual game against the Dolphins, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. We're going to talk about this game specifically, that the Jets lost 24-31 to against the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are still fighting for the playoffs. They're 7-7 seven and seven now. The Jets, they've been eliminated. They're looking more towards, as we talked about, evaluation, potentially the draft, and just trying to get out of this year healthy. 3-11 and 11 on the season now. Not so great. Swept by the Dolphins. You hate to see it, but it is what it is. And in this game, the Jets actually went into it like 55-55-1 career against the Dolphins in franchise histories. In this game, the Dolphins took the lead. They are currently one game up on the Jets. But mark my words, they will be back next year trying to write that, get it flipped back in the Jets' favor. 
In this game, in terms of team stats, the Jets were outplayed by the Dolphins. They did some nice stuff in the first half, and if you could stop it right there after 30 minutes of play, you would have said, wow, the Jets are playing a great game. The Dolphins are a little bit behind them. But by the time the fourth quarter ended, totally different story. Zach Wilson was sacked six times in this game, and because of that, you know, he threw the ball decently well in this game, like 170-plus yards or so. But because the sack yardage that was taken out of it, it ends up being a net 126 passing yards to go with a net 102 rushing yards. They actually had pretty good rushing yard average at 4.3 yards per carry. But at the end of the thing, that's 228 total yards of offense. That's not going to get it done. 379 yards for the Dolphins. They were able to pass decently well for 196 net yards. But that rushing attack of 183 yards. And you're talking about Duke Johnson, who's still in the NFL and still getting lead back carry games out of nowhere. And Miles Gaskin, they're going to get 183 rushing yards on 4.4 yards per rush. That can't happen. I know that Foley Fadikasi's out. He's one of our best run stoppers. He's out with COVID. We don't have him for this game. But for crying out loud, we got to do better than that against a guy like Duke Johnson. And this is one of the worst offensive lines in the league that Miami has. It's not like they got some bruisers that are absolutely dominating teams. This is not a great rushing attack team. I think the Jets got beat up by Tua well enough in the first game when they matched up. He was like 27 for 33. Tua kind of dissected them. Maybe they wanted to make sure that didn't happen again, but at what cost? And where are the adjustments? The Jets in this game, they did have a few turnovers. That was a nice thing to see. They had a big old pick six from Brandon Eccles. Loved to see that. They had a nice interception from Ashton Davis. They picked up a fumble. And Ashton Davis actually almost had another opportunity for an interception. Would have been a huge play. His second of the day went right through his hands. You'd like to see him make that play. He definitely should have, but when you take into account that he already had an interception on the day, you can't be too upset with him because he did catch one. He just dropped the much easier one, and he missed the opportunity to have defensive player of the game and a really awesome performance. But they did have those three turnovers. They won the turnover battle. But when it came down to it, they lost the time of possession battle because they couldn't run. They got sacked six times. We only got to two a one time on like a scramble play that Sheldon Rankins tackled him kind of in the backfield. And they had 23 first downs to our 16. When it came to red zone, they were four for five on attempts. And even though we had less penalties than them, two less penalties and like 20 less yards, it wasn't enough to beat them. They were a more efficient team. They got more yards per play. They beat the Jets up, unfortunately. You didn't think it when you watched the first half. You thought the Jets were going to be on a roll. But as we've learned, they can't do it for four quarters. Not yet. So those are kind of the team stats. Looking at the player performances specifically, I want to start on offense, and I want to start with Zach Wilson. I really liked what I saw from Zach Wilson early. What we're seeing here is a total shift in mentality and an entire new game plan and what he's bringing to the table. We watched the first six, seven weeks or so, and he was out of control, trying to play hero ball. We talked about it all the time. You can't just win the games like that. He did beat Tennessee, making some crazy deep throws, but he was chucking the ball down the field, throwing the ball in harm's way, throwing a lot of interceptions, and unable to make the short, easy, intermediate, and like really short routine plays. So it was kind of a mess. Then he got injured and we hoped he'd get better. It took him a little while. But what we learned from Mike White and what we learned from Joe Flacco is that the team and the offense can be successful dumping the ball to the running backs, to the tight ends, playing a short yardage game, moving the sticks appropriately, and not risking turnovers to try to get a big play that may or may not happen. Zach Wilson in this game didn't attempt a single pass or didn't complete a single pass over 10 yards. They all were yards after catch on those bigger plays, 
And there were plays basically behind the first down marker. Chucks to the tight end, one or two to the running back. Jameson Crowder getting his fair share in the slot. And what you're seeing is a total shift in his thought process and what he's trying to do. No longer is he trying to get downfield. I know he doesn't have Corey Davis. He doesn't have Elijah Moore, which are the two best offensive weapons for the Jets in the passing game. But we're seeing him get the ball to the tight ends very, very nicely. They actually had five catches for 93 yards on five total targets, which is the best tight end performance that we've seen as a group this entire year. A catch for Wesco, two for Ryan Griffin, two for Tyler Croft. And these are guys that Zach Wilson was not hitting very often early in the season and certainly wouldn't be five for five, throwing the ball less than 10 yards. He was making nice plays, making nice reads, and dumping it off. He wasn't dirting them the way he had. He wasn't mayor mailing the running backs on their routes. It was way, way more comfortable in that respect. That said, he didn't take any big shots. He didn't get the ball downfield. He didn't move it super quickly, and he took too many sacks. So what you're seeing is the turnovers go down, the accuracy on short passes go up, but you're missing some of those big plays, and you're missing some of the play recognition, the diagnosis, and getting the ball out quickly with processing. He still has a way to go, but what we've seen is that he's able to learn and adapt. He didn't stick with one style and just do it forever. I think we watched... As much as I loved Sam Darnold, I think we watched a similar style of play from Sam Darnold from the beginning to the end. He never quite got it. He would get those off-script plays that would be good. He'd take his shots here and there, but, you know, he kind of looked similar from the beginning to the end. Zach Wilson's gone from a complete 180. He went from only throwing the ball deep, basically, only wanting the deep throw, being hungry, looking for the big one, to not even looking for them at all, just dumping accurately to the guys. So neither one is perfect. Neither one will win you games. But if you can combine the two together... That's when things will start to come together. And we have seen that he can do the deep ball game. We've seen that now in this game, decently well with the short ball game. 13 for 23, 170 yards. He had no touchdowns, no interceptions. Did have a fumble. Did have a rushing touchdown. Finished with an 80 quarterback rating, which is better than we've seen from him in most games in terms of a rating. And they almost won the game. 24 to 31. They were in it. They had to keep it going in the second half. But you can't be too upset with his specific performance in this game especially because you're seeing that side of things that you hadn't seen. That's all I'm going to say on Zach Wilson today. Let's go over to the running backs where Michael Carter started super hot, but then ended with eight carries for 18 yards. How is that possible? It was only a long as six. I know he didn't have any big chunk gainers, but it felt like he was picking up five, six, seven every time he touched the ball, and he finishes the game with 18 yards on eight carries. 2.3 yards per carry. A lot of it because of those negative yardage plays. He had a big five-yard loss. In the second half, he had one another point as well. Tevin Coleman led the way with yardage at 50. Also had eight carries. That's 6.3 yards per carry. A 20-yard long there. Good game from Tevin Coleman. Overall, the run blocking wasn't awesome. You're obviously missing George Fant, who you'd like to see in there. And the offensive lines, you know, it's got a little bit of work to be done there. Specifically, if you could get, like, Mekhi Becton back, maybe get a right guard. Not a complete finished product. Michael Carter's coming back from being injured. And the Dolphins decided... We put it on Zach Wilson, take away his deep ball, and stop the run. You know, it uh, tough spot there. But a guy that really stood out in that running game and the passing game and just all over the field was Braxton Berrios. And I know it wasn't an incredible game, but he is going to get our offensive player of the game. The Jets didn't have an incredible offensive performance, really, from anybody in this game. But what Braxton Berrios did was so versatile and so helpful and sometimes, like, the only spark in an offense that didn't have anything going that he deserves offensive player of the game. He had a big rushing touchdown on an 8-yard carry 
or a two-yard carry. Uh, and then he also had an eight-yard carry. So he had two carries for 10 yards with that touchdown. He had a nice catch for 22 yards or so. And then he had that play that Jameson Crowder caught and then threw it behind. It was like a deep hook and ladder, a play that blew everybody's mind on the third and 15. You did not know who was coming. And all of a sudden, everyone crowds to Jameson Crowder in the middle of the field, coming over the crosser. And Braxton Barrios is staying back in his position where he was waiting for a screen, basically, left wide open, gets to the first down. He had some really gritty runs. He made good decisions. You know, he got that ball, caught it on that third and 15, and got to the first down yarder. He was on that designed, you know, that run to Braxton Barrios. It was designed to be a pass to Jamison Crowder, who fell down. Braxton Barrios realized, okay, I can't throw that ball. All I can do is either throw it away or get into that end zone. And he got his shoulder down, and he snuck in when it really wasn't open. He's making his presence felt. The Jets are trying to use him. They're trying to get the ball in his hands in creative ways. And a lot of the plays that feature Braxton Berrios are some of the most fun, exciting, and electric plays that the Jets even have. There's a ton of efficiency on those plays, not to mention his impact in the return game and punt return game. So Braxton Berrios, no, it wasn't a mind-boggling performance. He only totaled 36 total yards in this game, but he had a touchdown, did it in a variety of ways, and is proving that he's more than just a punt returner. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, not a Brad Smith per se, but one of those guys that can line up in so many different areas and do different things and bring just electricity to a team that can get flat. So I'm happy to have Braxton Berrios. Hope that we continue to see him here. He's not the fastest punt returner in the world, but he's efficient and he's becoming a darn good, you know, utility gadget player. So that's the running game. And that's our offensive player of the game. We talked about the tight ends already. Michael Carter, you know, he had one catch in this game for two yards on two targets. No other running back was even targeted in this game. So even though Zach Wilson kept it short and under 10 yards, he wasn't thrown to the running backs nearly enough in my opinion, but they probably were keying up on that a little bit more than we would have liked. Tight ends got featured early. When you look at the receiving game, Jameson Crowder was the main target. Eight targets, he had five catches for 40 yards. A lot of short little plays, think and dunks. He had that other half of the hook and ladder play with the catch in the middle of the field. He did some nice stuff, but you know he's not a big breakaway type of player. He gets a lot of eight, seven, nine-yard catches. The other receivers in this game, we had one catch from Keelan Cole for nine yards on two targets. And our doghouse player of the game, what the hell is going on with Denzel Mims? Why can't this guy get involved in the game at all? Why is he out there for a majority of plays when you've got Corey Davis and Elijah Moore out and you know that the Jets want to get him the ball? He's the big, tall target. He's the guy that's got, you know, we think he's got the upside and whatnot, and he's out there enough. They're trying to put him on the field. He's going to get targeted three times. He's not going to make any catches. This is just week after week of him not living up to expectations. Now, me and my dad have always said, you know, receivers take three to four years to develop. You shouldn't expect a receiver to be good year one, even though it happens. And even year two still takes some time. But he should be getting more involved in a game plan that he's out there for. Don't get me wrong. The Dolphins have great cornerbacks. They got Xavier Howard, they got Byron Jones, who played phenomenal games in this one. They absolutely shut down the Jets' outside wide receiver attack. But Denzel Mims, just catch a ball, get open, make a move, do something, you know? Get yourself imprinted into this game one way or another, especially because you're only playing since the top two options are gone. I mean, these are your chances. He's probably going to have another one next week. Corey Davis is on IR for the rest of the season. Elijah Moore is potentially coming back in like a week and now has this COVID thing going on. So Denzel Mims may have another chance. But if you're the coaching staff, how much faith can you really have in this guy moving forward, at least for this season? I think if you have him, the hope is that, like, 
all right, we send him a big, clear message before the season's over, maybe you bench him or something, and you say, you come back next year ready to play, or you're not going to be in the NFL for much longer. And you give him one more chance, one more offseason to really work on stuff, get better, and then start to do it. Because right now, it's just frankly not working. So that's the receiving game. The offensive line, we talked about the rushing attack. Wasn't awesome. Connor McDermott gave up two sacks. He's playing in place of George Fant. Obviously, a significant significant uh, downgrade there at that position. It'd be nice to have Mekhi Becton, but unfortunately, we're stuck in a situation where it's Connor McDermott playing left tackle and not doing great at it. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he's inconsistent. Elijah Vera Tucker, while he makes some great plays and is showing tons of promise, he still makes a mistake here and there. And when it's all said and done, you get sacked six times. That really hurts the team. Zach Wilson does hold on to the ball for too long. I think we all can tell that he's not processing the field. He sees guys. Sometimes guys are open on the field, and either he's not looking in that direction or he's just a little too hesitant to throw it, doesn't get it out of his hands, takes a sack. So it makes it difficult on the O-line, but this was definitely not one of their better games in terms of pass blocking and probably not one of their best games in terms of run blocking either. What do you expect? Connor McDermott's out there. Anyways, that's what I have for the offense in this game. We can go over to the defensive side of the ball, and it's hard to be pleased with the defensive side of the ball at all because you're getting beat up on the ground by Duke Johnson and Miles Gaskin, which should never happen, and you're not getting pressure on Tua Tungavailoa. And after he had a really bad start to this game, like he was looking really ugly early on, almost through three interceptions or so, ended up just throwing that one to Ashton Davis in the first half. But it was like, you know, all of a sudden he started kind of getting it together, feeling more comfortable, getting in a rhythm, threw a couple nice deep passes that were successful, and just defense struggled. That defensive line right now, I love Quinn and Williams, who had the shoulder injury in this game. I love JFM, who can do a little bit of everything, but probably is a little overpaid. going to say it. Still a good player and is on COVID list right now. We should have Carl Lawson. Foley Fadikasi should be in there as well. He's got COVID, so he wasn't there. Sheldon Rankins is definitely a good player. Pretty good pass rusher for an interior guy. But I'm having a lot of trouble enjoying the rest of that defensive line unit. We're supposed to be a rotational thing where everyone's getting 30% of snaps, 30% of snaps here, keep guys fresh and get them high motor after the quarterback and stopping the run attack. Unfortunately, a lot of those players suck. I have seen way too much Ronnie Blair this year. I have seen way too much Nathan Shepard for a lifetime. I'm not getting enough out of players like, you know, Bryce Huff's coming back from an injury. You're trying to play players this year like a Tim Ward or a Shaq Lawson. Kyle Phillips, and while there are moments for all these players, some of them I like more than others, it's just not a good enough unit, and you have better players. I don't want to see Ronnie Blair as many times as I saw him in this game, or Nathan Shepard as many times as I saw him in this game. I want to see John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, Quinton Williams, what we have. Sometimes when you're being paid $12 million like John Franklin Myers, you're getting paid what Quinton Williams is about to get paid. You need to be able to just play 75% of snaps and buckle down because the other guys behind you can't carry the load. You can't just throw Ronnie Blair in there because he's, oh, he's the guy that's supposed to get 35% of snaps. Sometimes the guys just aren't cutting it. I think this is going to be an area of focus for the Jets going into next season. I know we're getting Carl Lawson back. We don't know what his health will be, but I do think that in the draft, it needs to be addressed as early as possible. Right now, if they can get Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, 
and there's a nice pass rusher or something like that to influx with a John Franklin Myers, Rankins, Fadakasi, Quinn, Williams, Carl Lawson, and then one other guy, a rotational player. Now I'm talking about a unit that I actually like to watch play. But right now, it is too much Nathan Shepard. It's too much Ronnie Blair. And that's all I'm going to say about that. they got to get better. Looking at the linebackers, bummed with everything we got from Nasrul Dean this year. Sherwood's out, but didn't get a lot from him. Haven't gotten much from Jared Davis. But we like our Quincy Williams. We like our C.J. Mosley. They had decent games in this one. Had trouble stopping the run. They weren't as explosive as they've been in other games this year. Getting after the running backs in the backfield. Snuffing out screens. Making plays in the backfield. Wasn't really happening. They were all right. Obviously, we'd like to uh, retain both of those players for next year. C.J. Mosley's got a big cap hit. But those are two good linebackers. Probably need to get one more youthful player in there. Maybe move away from like a Gerard Davis, a Blake Cashman type of thing. All of this stuff, I'm doing too much evaluation probably. We're going to do plenty of that in the offseason. Um, so I guess I'll try to move on here. But when you're talking about evaluation, there's no better position on this team right now than that defensive backfield because you've got young guys galore. You've got a rookie in Brandon Eccles playing with a second-year player in Bryce Hall. You've got a second-year player in Ashton Davis playing next to a rookie in Elijah Riley. And you got a rookie in the slot of Michael Carter, too, playing in front of a second-year player in Javelin Guidry. So it's question marks galore. But if there's anything that we've learned, it's that Bryce Hall is as advertised. We left with positive feelings after last year, and he's only gotten better this year. Bryce Hall had a great game in this one, only gave up a few catches, had a couple pass deflections, not much yardage on him, made a couple really nice tackles, snuffed out a screen in this game, really, really nice form tackle on a tight end from Bryce Hall, so great game from him. And then the guy on the opposite side, Brandon Eccles, had his best game of his career. and One of the best cornerback games that we've seen in a while. He is our defensive player of the game. Rookie Brandon Eccles in this one had a pick six. Wonderful to get the Jets back in the game when it was almost over. Got a huge pick six for the defense on a unit that has no interceptions from the entire cornerback position and certainly, certainly doesn't score on defense. But he did that, made it happen, Got the Jets back in the game. Aside from that, he only gave up one reception in this game and had three pass deflections. A couple of really nice pass deflections. This was his most consistent game. This was his best game. And this gave me a lot of hope moving forward. I know you don't have Jalen Waddle on the field. The Dolphins were a little bit shorthanded. But Brandon Eccles, what he did in this game, if he can do that here and there, he absolutely has a spot on the field in the NFL. So... Super stoked about him. Brandon Eccles, defensive player of the game. Let's continue to watch him opposite of Bryce Hall. A position that definitely looked neglected in the offseason, but has turned out to be a little bit more fruitful than I think a lot of us had ever expected. When you go to safety, I think that area leaves a lot to be desired. I think that Elijah Riley can make some decent plays, but he should not be a starting safety in the NFL. I think that he could be one of those Rontez Miles, Eric Smith type of guys for a team, but he probably shouldn't be in there every down. Ashton Davis may be in the same sort of spot, but he did make another nice interception in this game. And on the season, he's actually had a few splash plays, and that's kind of what you're looking for from him, something that he wasn't really doing before. He can tackle all right. He can cover okay at times. He definitely gets beaten in coverage, got beaten a couple times in this game in coverage, in my opinion. Um, but if you could bring some splash plays, make some INTs, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, this and that, you're like, all right, well, now we're starting to see some of that juice that you want from a safety like that and in this game he had the one interception almost had another had he had the other 
it would have been a really, really tight contest between Eccles and Ashton Davis on defensive player of the game, which is not something you thought you'd be saying, you know, beginning of the season. Like, we're going to be, in the end of the season, talking about Ashton Davis and Brandon Eccles playing out of their minds and who's actually a better player. My gosh. He dropped it, unfortunately. Still a good game from him, and uh, he's trending up in the sense that I thought that he was a bench reserve player. I think that he's trending up to a solid third safety is what he looks like to me. A solid third safety or a bad starting safety, which is currently what he is right now. But I'm feeling more comfortable in that evaluation that he's not a lost cause. He's not a wasted draft pick, not a bust at that third round spot that he was taken. But I would like to see a little bit more from him. He has developed in the year two from year one. and He's developed from the first half of the season to this second half of the season. And if he can do that again and then bring a little bit more next year, you'll feel a lot better about that position. So that's what we got on defense. Now, before we go over to special teams, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today I am drinking fresh. That is fresh with a pH, R-E-S-H, a New England IPA handcrafted in New Britain, Connecticut, where I went to college, CCSU represent. This is by Alvarium Brewing Company. Absolutely delicious. I think I've actually reviewed this on this podcast before, probably a couple years ago, because this is one of my favorite Connecticut beers. It is so freaking good. It's 6.5% alcohol, so it's in that range of, like, you can actually drink these things without getting too worried about what it's doing. And it is so smooth. It's light. It's not too sweet. It's uh, it's awesome. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's usually kind of expensive in the package stores for a beer like this. But if you see it, it's got some tie-dye colors on it. It's called Fresh. If you like New England IPAs, please give it a chance. I mean, it's freaking awesome. I got it because we had, well, like my dad's birthday and a bunch of events. I had my birthday these Jets games and whatnot, we want to do something special and get like, what's the best beers that we can think of? I said, you know, don't hold back. Just get something that you love. Don't get creative and try to get cute with it. End up grabbing something that you're like, ugh, this thing is not that good, which I do all the time. There are so many beers. I just want to try them. And like 80% of the time, it's a good beer or one that's not that good. It's not that often like a game-changing beer. In my opinion, this is one of them. So... You see it, try it out fresh by Alvarium, brewed in New Britain, Connecticut, hard hit in New Britain. Gotta love it, coming from CT. And that is what I'm drinking today on this What's on Tap. So now, before we go over to special teams and a Jaguars preview, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, folks, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We just talked offense, we just talked defense, we are now going to talk special teams. Talk about special teams, three big areas, return game, kicking game, and punting game. When you talk about the punting game, Braden Mann, he took that leg off, is that brace off of his leg last week, I think, against the Saints, and that was his best distance punting game of the season. I'd had a lot of issues with him in the way that he was kicking early on after coming back from injury. And then we didn't have a podcast last week, so I couldn't talk about how he had the brace off. I was actually kicking the ball better. I think that he continued that this week. No brace again. Looking to kick the ball better. Had a 63-yarder in this one three inside the 20, one of his better games of this season. It wasn't incredible. He had a really, really nice punt inside the five that was awesome to see. He's getting better at that for sure. He saw a little bit of that power coming back, so very nice from Braden Mann. The return game, a nice game from Braxton Berrios. Two, kick ret- or two punt returns in this game. 
23 yards total. That's 11.5 yards each, a 12-yarder and a 10-yarder. You love what you see from Braxton Berrios. You can rely on him to catch the ball, and you can rely on him to, if he's got space, get upfield. He doesn't get cute with it and try to run back and forth. I watched, uh, I don't know if it was Damaris Bird or Jakeem Grant last night for the Bears in that Monday night football game, and they kicked it to him, and he had like nine yards upfield and then broke away from a tackle and saw the other side of the field open. So he reversed field, ran back and forth. He ended up running for like what felt like two minutes and ended up getting negative two yards on the return after already being 10 yards upfield. He went backwards and danced around and lost yardage. And Braxton Berrios does not do stuff like that. He doesn't frustrate you in the return game with punt with bobbled punts. He doesn't frustrate you dancing around and trying to get flashy. He just gets upfield, makes a man miss, gets out of bounds, gets tackled. Great job by Braxton Berrios. Very efficient, nice return game. And then you go to the kicking game, which has been a very, very sore area for the Jets this year. Very frustrating for the last three years, really. But in this game, Eddie Money Panero, one for one on field goals with a 27-yarder, three for three on extra points, and most importantly, made them all look easy. And as I was watching them, I was confident in every single one. Never for a second was I like, oh, is he going to make this one? Are we going for another miss, which is how I felt every time Amendola ever kicked, every time Ficken ever kicked, every time Bertolette ever kicked, or Sergio Castillo, all of them. Eddie Panero made me feel something that I haven't felt from the kicking position in a long time, and that's comfortable. He's our special teams player of the game. I don't know how long this is going to last, but if he can kick over 85% for the remainder of this season in these last three games, I think he comes back next year. He was the guy that, when we got him, I was more excited about him than I was about any Amendola or Ficken or any of those guys because he's kicked in the league before. He kicked over 80% for an entire season with the Bears. He's not some unknown guy who we don't know. I mean, for crying out loud, when we had... uh, who was it that we picked? Cody Cody Kessman. This guy was like 75% in college. He couldn't even kick well there. He's never kicked in the NFL. Like, what makes us think that now he learned how to do it? How about a veteran like Eddie Panero, who doesn't have a long resume, but he's got a resume of doing it successfully? And I feel good about him right now. You can tell when you see a really, like Jason Sanders for the Dolphins is a really good kicker. You can tell that his kicks are going through the net pin straight, just like Panero, but way up high. And... It leaves, you know, more room for a long kick. It looks like he's got plenty of leg, and it makes it more difficult to block. Eddie Panero's kicks in this game were consistently lower than that of Jason Sanders, and even though they were dead straight down the middle, you do worry about potential blocked field goals, and you do worry about distance. You also worry because we haven't seen it yet in clutch situations. So that's still what we have to see. We have to see distance, clutch situations, and we have to see how often they get blocked, especially when he kicks from distance. But as of right now, great game. Special teams player of the game, and awesome to see Eddie Money, pin straight Pinero, doing his thing. That is what we have for special teams, offense, defense, the whole nine. We can officially bed this Miami Dolphins defeat. Move on to greener pastures. The first being the draft, where the Jets will be adding in nine or more amazing new young rookies. We hope. They have extra picks this year. They got their pick, which right now is looking to be like the fourth overall pick. A couple of their teams down there, Texans, Lions, Jaguars, monitor them. We play the Jaguars this week. We already beat the Texans. We don't play the Lions this year. But those guys are all in that same sort of area and plenty to be determined still in that draft board because everyone's really close. But if we beat the Jaguars this week, let's just be comfortable in that four, five, six spot. 
I would be happier there, much happier there, than picking first or second overall. But uh, we also have the pick of the Seahawks, who are doing horrible this year, currently 5-8, and eight, with the eighth worst record in the NFL. They're playing tonight. Actually, they kick off in about an hour and a half from when I'm recording this podcast against the Rams, and there's a bunch of guys on COVID for the Seahawks. The Rams had a lot. They postponed the game. The Rams got a lot of guys back, and in that amount of time when they were recovering, the Seahawks got players added to the COVID list. So they kind of got screwed in this game, and I'm okay with it because I want that draft pick to be good. And if you're rooting for a tank for the Jets, don't worry about a tank for the Jets. How about a tank for the Seahawks where they don't even get their pick? We get it. That's what I'm looking for. They play the Rams tonight, got to root against the Seahawks, and then next week they play the Bears. We'll see what happens against the Bears. The Bears are not a great team, but... The Seahawks, I mean, they're a 5-8 and eight team as well. Eighth worst record in the league, so let's not act like they're a good team. They feel like they should be a good team because it's the Seahawks. It's Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, but they right now are not playing like a good team. The Panthers are the other team who we care about vested interest in because we have their second and fourth round pick in upcoming draft. They're 5-9 and nine right now with the seventh worst record, so just one game worse than the Seattle Seahawks. They play the Bucks next, then they play the Saints, then they play the Bucks. Season over. Bucks, Saints, Bucks, all division games, all teams that are currently, and in most people's opinions, better than the Panthers. And if it's Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, PJ Walker, I don't care. If they can lose all three of those games and finish this season five and twelve, the Jets will have a very, very nice second round pick that'll feel like a first rounder. They'll have a very, very nice fourth round pick that'll feel like a third rounder, and that'll really help this team get a nice little influx of young talent. We know we need it. A lot of spots on defense, a lot of spots on off, all over the place. Jets need talent these teams can continue to lose, that would be freaking awesome. So those are our draft nuggets. Not really going to talk about the AFC East. I don't like the AFC East anymore, especially not the teams that are relevant, and they're not going to get time of day. We're going to talk about the Jaguars instead. The Jaguars, game coming up at MetLife Stadium, home game for the Jets, where this year they have been better. 1 p.m. on Sunday, Jets opening up as a 2.5-point favorite. It's at home, so you always get like 2.5 to 3 points for being the home team. So essentially, Vegas and the odd makers think this is a wash. They think, we don't know. Any team can win this game. They both suck so much. Who knows what will happen? When you look at this thing, it's exciting for a couple of reasons. One, it's a pretty evenly matched team overall and a team that the Jets definitely, you know, we look at the schedule like, oh my gosh, it's the Jaguars. We could beat the Jaguars. You got to keep in mind, the Jaguars are looking at their schedule like, oh my gosh, it's the Jets. We could beat the Jets. But you got Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson. And that's really fun in the aspect of, like, it's the number one overall pick versus the number two overall pick. Both quarterbacks, very fun thing going in. But they also have, like, identical stats this year. Trevor Lawrence has played more games than Zach Wilson and has slightly better counting stats. But when it comes down to, like, efficiency and all that, it's almost identical. So whatever you've seen from Zach Wilson, you know, it's kind of the same. If you haven't watched a lot of Jaguars games, it's not been pretty for Trevor Lawrence. Certainly not. He's got more fumbles, more interceptions. He doesn't throw the ball really as efficiently, in my opinion. I think that actually is a worse offense overall run by Trevor Lawrence than we have here. As bad as Zach Wilson has been, you know, I watch these teams and, like, yeah, Mac Jones is winning, but he doesn't actually impress me in the long term. Trey Lance isn't playing. Justin Fields has done some nice things, but, you know, he's just as bad as Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, and he takes, like, massive sacks and fumbles the ball all the time. Trevor Lawrence just like Zach Wilson, except the offense is a little bit lamer, and he was supposed to be the god coming out. And Zach Wilson was supposed to be kind of a project. 
So you got to feel kind of good about Zach Wilson, but seeing him compared side by side for an entire game to see who pulls out this win. You know, the Jaguars have won two games. The Jets have won three. Somebody's got to win this game. One of those two quarterbacks is going to leave this thing like, yeah, I'm the winner of it. And I freaking hope it's Zach Wilson. You got a very interesting situation with the Jaguars right now where Urban Meyer was fired and arguably is the worst NFL head coach of all time in the history of the league. How many head coaches get fired after their first season? Even if, like, the Giants suck, Joe Judge, you don't fire him after his first season, right? He still comes back. Robert Sala, there's no chance he'll get fired this year even if the Jets suck because it's his first year. Not only did Urban Meyer get fired after his first season, he got fired during his first season. And within that, made like six or seven horrible headlines, kicking his kicker in the leg, going to strip clubs, all sorts of weird stuff that you don't want your head coach doing, weird meetings with players, flying separately from the team. And this was a guy that was like paid a whole bunch of money to come in and take this god quarterback of Trevor Lawrence to the promised land, which makes it all that much worse because it's like the best graded you know, rookie quarterback coming in in so, so long. Who's going to get the fate of this guy? And it's somebody who's a freaking good recruiter from college, but an absolute dope of a human being to come in there and ruin the, potentially the career, the season, get fired before it's even over. So I digress. Urban Meyer, one of the worst coaches in NFL history. But away from that, they now have a new head coach, Daryl Bevel. He was an offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks back in like 2011 to, I don't know, mid-2010s. And then he went over to the Lions for a little bit. And when they fired Matt Patricia, he was the interim head coach there. Went over to work with Urban Meyer with the Jaguars. Urban Myers gets fired. He's the interim head coach there. A lot of bad luck following Daryl Bevel in terms of the head coach in front of him, but a lot of good luck for him in terms of getting head coaching experience when he didn't really deserve it or earn it. But uh, it's kind of an interesting situation with that new head coach. The team is kind of in flux right now. The rookie quarterback, you know, end of the season, everyone's kind of now looking towards the draft and the people are checked out and this and that. Is it possible the Jets come in and beat this team up? Maybe, because the Jaguars are not very good. They score slightly less points than the Jets, and they give up slightly less points on defense. So a slightly worse offense than the Jets, a slightly better defense. They have the worst scoring total in the entire league at 14 points per game. Nobody else is getting just 14 points per game. The Jaguars are there. So I know you're probably thinking to yourself, the Jets aren't much better than that. No, you're right. This is two of the worst pass defenses in the entire league up against each other. Two of the worst quarterbacks in the league this year up against each other, and I'm here for it. That Jaguars offense, they got a couple key players. Trevor Lawrence is their quarterback. We know plenty about him. James Robinson is their running back, who's a pretty good back. They would have had Travis Etienne. He never played this year due to injury. So the backup running back was Carlos Hyde. He's out for this game. Wide receivers, you're really looking at, like, Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault, both of which Marvin Jones is a nice veteran type of player who's not elite, and that passing offense is obviously struggling. Levishka Chenault is an, you know, a young, raw player who's trying to get minutes, trying to get more comfortable out there, has put some nice things together, but isn't all the way there yet. Then they got a big-bodied tight end they traded for this year, Dan Arnold. Offensive line, they've only allowed 28 sacks, which is the 12th best mark in the league. So you don't get after Trevor Lawrence a ton, but they do have 25 turnovers, which is the second worst in the league. If you're wondering who's actually the worst, it's the Jets. The Jets have 26 turnovers this year, but the Jaguars are the second worst. So two turnover-happy teams. The Jaguars don't get sacked a ton, do turn the ball over. When you look at their defense, 
They got a nice pass rusher in Josh Allen. We remember him as we were evaluating who we'd take in that Quinn and Williams draft, and it was Josh Allen, Quinn and Williams, Nick Bosa. Josh Allen's their leading sack guy for, or I think it's five and a half sacks so far this year. Not a great number, but, you know, he's making stuff happen. Dwayne Smoot, defensive end, their second most sacks in the team with five. Their best tackler, middle linebacker, Miles Jack. And then they've got an interesting sort of defensive backfield with a rookie in Tyson Campbell from Georgia. They've got Shaq Griffin, and they got Nevin Lawson. So not a great group there. Not an awesome pass defense. they got a decent safety in Rayshon Jenkins, who's one of their better defensive players probably, but he's out for this game. Overall, they've only got 25 sacks as a team, partially because of not great coverage, partially because of not a great pass rush. That's the 27th fewest sacks, in, or 27th in terms of sacks in the league, so the fifth fewest in the league. Their turnovers that they've forced, league-worst seven total turnovers forced defensively on the year. That is the worst by a lot. The next worst team has 11, and they're sitting there with seven turnovers. So when you look at the Jaguars, what you see is an inexperienced head coach with a not-good team coaching a rookie quarterback. A bunch of players missing. They don't have a great pass rush. They don't have a great defensive backfield. They don't force the ball into their own hands. Not a lot of turnovers. And then offensively, they turn the ball over a ton, don't get sacked a lot, would like to run the ball, and it's a mess. It's a hodgepodge, just like the Jets. It's inconsistent, and we don't know what's going to happen. Vegas says the Jets win by 2.5. I say the Jets win by 7. I say the Jets come out of this game, just like they lost to the Dolphins, 31-24. to The Jets win this game against the Jaguars. They establish dominance for the rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson leaves, other than Mac Jones, who will probably be going to the postseason and continuing his amazing run as a rookie quarterback. That's like one of the least impressive things for how many headlines it gets. But I think that we leave this thing saying between the Trevor Lawrence, the Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, we feel really good about the Zach Wilson decision. And I'll be okay with that. We'll be going into the draft with hopefully good draft stock from the Panthers, from the Seahawks, and from ourselves. And we can feel like this team is moving in the right direction. So let's get a win against the Jaguars. Let's get that momentum going. Let's set the tempo for this team and say, yeah, we can win. And this is how we do it. I'm looking forward to it. A Jets win this Sunday. My dad's excited for it too. It's coming right after Christmas. So I want everybody to have a happy, safe, healthy Christmas. Whatever holiday you celebrate. Just make sure you have a good time. You relax. You spend time with family and friends and whatnot. Those that are most important to you. Make sure they know it. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. You can rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. You can watch the Jets, watch the rest of the NFL, root for the Seahawks to lose tonight, and have a wonderful holiday. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is the Jet Life. Jet Life.